You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtics Stuff Live with your hosts Justin Poulin and John Duke. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics who are no longer in the playoffs. So it's time here on Celtics Stuff Live and throughout the country where Celtics fans say, there's always next year, John. There's always next year. Is that? I, I, yeah, but well, yeah. Or there's always, there's always year. this year. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I just look. I, look. I, I think there's a lot of angst and a lot of people who are still pretty upset. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm we're we're recording this during Game One of the Finals right now. You know, Miami is they're down 11, but they've been pretty much in the you know the first half here. And, you know, they're 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 competitive in this game, and and I frankly think the Celtics would have been as competitive, if not better, uh, matched uh, for the Lakers. But it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be, and the Celtics unfortunately are um, you know going home, and it's, it was, it's disappointing. It, you know, if you have kind of the long range and you go back to where we were a year ago when, when that's when the 20 season started, you know, I think we'd be oh, pretty happy. Expectations. Yeah. If, if but, you look back, but, but the fact that the opportunity, because Miami yeah. was the opponent, that's right. the part that's frustrating. It's like, yeah, they exceeded expectations. And if this were Milwaukee, we'd be doubly pissed because it's like, well, you know, they can't get by Milwaukee and Milwaukee is going to be there again next right. year. But right. in the bubble, they were a top-performing team. They managed to get by without Gordon Hayward. You know, I'm not going to gripe about the officials anymore, but I think the way that they drug out the Toronto series on us definitely made it more difficult for the Celtics heading into Miami or heading into Miami, <laughs> heading into the series against Miami. Uh, they were in Orlando, but either way, uh, the, you know, I could point to some of those things. But the opportunity is that next year Giannis is going to be healthy, and we'll see what happens for Milwaukee during the quote-unquote offseason. And the draft is kind of like the work- workouts. are Everything is so disjointed. But but this was an opportunity. Uh, this was an opportunity to go to the finals. The, Miami got a little lucky but also punched Milwaukee in the mouth at the same time. You know, it was a double. But they had such an easy time through the first two series. They had just so much dog left in their fight. Yeah, and I think that you know we were we went in expecting one thing out of Milwaukee, and they clearly are not what what they were in the regular season. They just over and over again through the bubble, but but also really in the playoffs. Well, same thing with the Clippers, right? They're definitely players. You know, I talked about this with Bobby Manning last night, but, you know, look at Paul George. They're just some players just didn't have their heads in it and their hearts weren't in it. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's a, it was a different dynamic. I mean, I think the Celtics probably benefited from that more so than maybe a lot of teams. Um, certainly the fact that they didn't have home court or would not have had home court uh, in, in the rounds two and three certainly – that worked in the Celtics' favor. Uh, well, I guess in round three they would have, but 
In round two, they didn't. And, you know, with a game seven against Toronto, who knows if they're playing that on Toronto's court, you know. But it did turn out. They got to the conference finals. I think that part is a success. But you have to step back and look and say, okay, well, now where do we go from here? You know, and and there's been a lot of criticism thrown about. Um, You know, I think that Brad deserves some criticism. Uh, I think that, you know, I really don't like the idea of criticizing Gordon Hayward, given the incredible sacrifices that he had to put up with to get there. But I think you have to talk about from a roster construction point of view, um, you know, whether or not you know, Gordon Hayward is the right fit to be, you know, that fourth star here or, or, or at least where he fits in on this team. Uh, I think, I think you got to ask that question and ask it pretty often because when the Celtics really couldn't play their best five players at any point this season, other than a, a really small spell uh, in game three, apart from that, they couldn't play their best five, best five players at the same time. And that's, uh, that's a real problem. I think going into the next season. So is your issue with Gordon that he can't stay healthy or that you don't think that they have enough muscle in the middle to be competitive enough when the playoffs come around? Yes. Mm, all of that. <laughs> yes, I mean, I and Ed man, and that makes me yes, Johnny Carson. Wacky wild stuff. Wacky wild stuff. It's all the above, man. It's It's the problem is like, it's totally the fact that they can't – it's less so the muscle, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, I think – but I think that the issue is you need an answer for Bam out of bio. You need an answer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. You need an answer for these tall, these tall athletic guys who are just taking your lunch money in the middle, you know, and we can say it's, it's uh, you know – I mean, I think Tice – frankly, was an outstanding player, performed well above expectations this season, really had a good season. I think really got his lunch money taken and a lot of uh, opportunities, particularly in the, in the Miami series. He did have some good stretches as well. Game three, I thought he had some good stretches, but overall really uh, was not up to the challenge. And And this is where I get on Brad and I say, why didn't we have more of Time Lord? Why didn't we have more of Grant Williams? And I'm not saying a rookie's going to come in and, and going to take care of this situation, but like Grant Williams had, was on the floor for the biggest stop of the season for the Celtics. He's the one that locked up Fred VanVleet and locked up Game Seven for them. You know, maybe they win that you know in a different play or whatever, but but he's the guy that did that. And you know, I thought, and frankly, in Game Six he played pretty well. And so I, you know, I just his Brad's inability to want to play the younger players um, is really strange and, and Tice not was so very frustrating. Helpful. And and it basically started around uh, yeah, a couple of bright spots along the way, but sure. his downward yeah. decline in the postseason began with Game Three against Toronto, I think, and yeah. then his effect because. Think about every game leading up to that. All of Philly, the first two games against Toronto, it was all about how much he was doing on offense to set those picks and set it up so that, you know, Tatum had an easy lane or Kemba had an easy lane. And I don't know if this was totally managed by the zone or not. You know, I, I, I and maybe you would be able to answer that better than I would, but I don't know if the zone basically negated what Tice is typically doing, you know, and it's not always a pick and roll pick either, right? It's a lot. It's just so much positional stuff. You would have thought that that still would have helped in the zone. At least I do because those are still, you're supposed to drive into the zone, right? When the Celtics had success breaking down the zone, they were driving into the middle of it and then maybe they were kicking it out and whatever, you would think that that Tice's, you know, effectiveness that was being touted through those first, you know, six games would have continued to play out. And and, and in most mostly I, I don't know if we put the blame on the players for not driving and not creating an opportunity for Tice to do that or if we put it on Tice. But either way, 
Tice's effectiveness on offense, especially I remember in the Toronto series, he was just starting to take more and more three-pointers. You know, like, I'm still a threat because he wasn't doing the other things. And I thought to myself, he's a decent defender, but he's not so superior to everybody else on the roster, even Cantor to some degree, because if you're going to get the defensive rebounds, how many oh how many rebounds did the Celtics allow – you know, in that Toronto series, once it started to turn and, and the same thing, you know, in, in quite a few of the games with Miami is like second and third chance opportunities. That's the reason they got Canner. And so my point is, is like once Tice's ability to defend and stay out of foul trouble against big, bigger men in the middle, I'm not sure it's that big of a drop off to go to Canner. And at least you've got a freaking shot in hell on the boards. Yeah. You know, I, I think fundamentally yeah, it's thing. a drop off. Fundamentally, it is a drop. It's not even that, though. Like, I mean, Cantor's insurgence into the lineup in game three against Toronto was really where that series went off the rails. You know, from that on, he goes in for four minutes. He's a minus, like, I don't know, I think he scored four points, but they were like a minus, he was like minus eight or minus 11 in those minutes, those four minutes. And, and, and from that point, they found, their their mojo and from that point on really that series was a bit more of a dogfight and his inability to defend is absolutely killer you know and, and there's there's definitely times when for what he makes it's it's not like oh my god you know oh you know get rid of him throw you know he's not garbage but but the problem well is, right and rob williams setting, was the reason the celtics found yeah. their mojo and reasserted themselves, right? Totally, like I hear totally. it, it is very situational, you know, it's and Kanner had success right. against Olenek, but that's one of the problems. You know, you kind of need to invest in Williams because the problem for Williams is not seeing right. the game fast enough. It's not that the talent's not there. It's not that he doesn't understand it. It's just that defensively, He's lucky enough to have some athleticism that covers for the fact that his anticipation isn't quite there. But we talk about it with these players every year. Like, year three is when the game starts to slow down, dot, 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 dot. And he definitely played way better after he – but he missed a lot of games for injury as well. But the point is, is I think you got to just go all in on Williams and let him learn during the regular season in the hopes that in the postseason it all comes together over the next several years. And Grant Williams is probably your guy off the bench, uh, along with Tice, um, and then maybe, um, you know, Canner situationally. And I'm not trying to take Tice like way down these notches. You know, maybe he's the guy that, is more, you know, he's maybe splitting time off the bench. And you know Rob Williams is going to get into foul trouble, so there's going to be plenty of playing time for those guys. And if there's a matchup one night or another, you give them more time. But but as much as I love Tice, they were touting him as, like, a championship-caliber starting center, and I just don't think that's the case anymore. He played like – I mean, I, I, I think until, as you said, about midway through that Toronto series, I thought he played like it. And he had great runs in that – I mean – I think it was a game five of, of Toronto series that he, you know, had, I thought there were moments where he was, you know, really a, a supreme player. And, you know, I wonder if it's, you know, I think or if he wore his down. I mean, a guy with that frame to play that position and, and to be the way that he is. Against he the players that he had to play against. Right, right. Right. I mean, he, you know, going against Embiid, going against Gasol, going against Ibaka. I mean, that, that just, that adds up, I think. For, and then bam. Know, and then bam. And, then, and bam, bam, right. And then bam. I mean, that's, that's a bam. tough, that's a tough run, you know, and, and I, the Celtics roster construction, uh, you know, I, I think it makes sense. You invest your money in your wings and your guards and you. Well, there's you know, nothing they really can do about it now. Can. That's why I say Rob Williams. You know what I mean? It's got to be Rob Williams because he's got the upside on it and you have his rights. So you can sign him and there's all of that. Uh, It it makes sense to just invest in that kid because you're not going to get an upgrade at center any other way than the draft. I think it's Rob. I think it's Grant. I think it's I mean, I think that you got to see what you have in those situations. And I think I don't believe personally, I don't believe that Brad did enough of that in the bubble. 
you know, and maybe, you know, they had practices and, and, you know, who knows, but I felt like there wasn't enough Rob Williams. There wasn't enough Grant Williams. And, and I understand why you're in the playoffs, but, but I felt like the time to do that was, you know, through the bubble, get those guys, see what you got there. And, and I think, frankly, you feel like that's more of a doc rivers move. Totally. That's what I was thinking. The way that he's getting treated, and we're going to talk quite a bit about Doc here in a second, because we got to talk about Doc Rivers. Um, that's that's a whole like that could be a show in and of itself for you and I. But oh Lord but, Jesus, it's a dumpster fire. Oh, <laughs> like man. yeah. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think that they're the biggest look to pull back. You're absolutely right. Celtics did a great job in being able to. Uh, take advantage of this season, do as much as do much more than we anticipate, and that's great. So now we know what we have. We have a potential MVP candidate in Jason Tatum. We have a uh, certainly uh, an All NBA candidate in, in Jalen Brown. I think we have uh, a defensive player in, in Marcus Smart, who has become better rounded uh, as as a uh, as an offensive threat. I think we have in Kemba when healthy. Um, can certainly still get buckets and still do those things, though his size is a, is a liability. Defensively, um, it's, yep. it's an issue. And, if he's and, not and we have lighting it up was, on offense, it's too much yeah. of a problem. I, I would say, and then, but but then to go on to Hayward, I think we saw that there were moments when healthy, when you know, kind of able to do what he can do, showed that that he's absolutely. Um, a supersized uh, piece that can integrate so many of these different components. The problem then is, okay, well then what about the center position? What about, and, and I think that Tice did great. I think if he's one cog in the wheel, you feel good about that. You need more cogs. You know, I, I think. What's Canada, in the draft? I mean, there it is just going to be, it, listen, with the salary they're going to have committed to Jalen, and uh, and Tatum, and then yep. they're gonna have to commit more salary to Smart, right? And then and, and that probably means that Hayward's gone anyway. With all of those pieces in play, I don't know. You can yeah. only look at what they have and what's in the draft, unless you know you're gonna try to package picks with a Hayward and trade for somebody. But I'm just not sure that that gets you where you need to go, and financially. You know, that's another, you know, gigantic salary to go with three maxes on the roster and a, and a market smart expecting a pay raise. You know, well, I mean, yeah, you got one more year, but you're right. That's a it's a big problem. And and then you you, you kind of take it this and you say there isn't that center that's going to come, you know, walk into, you know, this this, you know, this walk out of this draft. You're not I, I don't. I don't think anyone thinks the next Bam Adebayo is in this draft. Okay. Right. Now, no one thought Bam Adebayo was going to be Bam Adebayo when when that draft was happening. But I don't think anyone's looking at this draft and saying there's even a guy at his position who's you know kind of in that spot, that kind of 14 um, you know range, or or even the later picks, 26 and 30. You know, so and also you've got all these young players. So what do you do? I mean, I think. You gotta consolidate. I mean, there's gotta be some consolidation. And I hear what you're saying in terms of like, I think you do. You need to try to see what you have with these these centers and some of these pieces. But like, you your your lot your roster is loaded. Like you have to. I think to me, when I looked at that playoff series, I saw a team that had multi-time NBA champion, former NBA champion in, in Andre Iguodala, had a veteran in in Jay Crowder, had Myers Leonard. Had I mean their bench, the Miami bench, and, and I'm not I'm not just trying to like oh Miami's perfect and you, you see some of that stuff and it drives me crazy because it's like it's not you know just having these guys but Udonis Haslam there were veteran pieces on that bench that look that stuff matters like I, I really believe it's not doesn't help you necessarily you know how many points and how many rebounds and all that but to have those players available and have them to help to create that culture is a really big deal. Um, you know, frankly, Kelly Olynyk's been to the conference finals too. So you've got veteran players. The Celtics were the youngest team in the playoffs, the youngest team in the playoffs, the smallest team in the playoffs. 
And I don't and I don't think those were bad things, but I think what it speaks to is there needs to be veteran leadership on that team, more veteran leadership on that team. You need a guy who can who can, you know, you know, add to that voice. And I think that there's positives in Brad Stevens wanting, you know, everyone to have an equal voice and trying to, you know, give the younger players more uh, agency in what they do. But honestly, like I think we saw a Miami team where those younger players were able to step up because they were getting that encouragement and cajoling from from those those older pieces that were on the bench that didn't need minutes. Udonis Haslam, I don't think he's played 10 minutes all season. But the point is he was there to help shape and guide and grow. And I felt like this team really struggled because – you're not getting that from Carson Edwards. You're not getting it from Tremont Waters. You're not getting it from Taco Fall. You're not getting it from, you know, Javante Green. I love those guys. I want to grow those players. But – and there's there's a value in trying to say, like, take a whole bunch of them and hope they somebody works out. But when yeah, it's, it's going to be all about the Carson mid-level. Carson Edwards isn't helping you win any games. No, it's going to be all line. about the mid-level and the veteran exception. That's, right. you know, you're not going to package any of these players up. And go get a veteran that is going to make any kind of substantial difference, right? might still be better to have a veteran, but you're not going to get a veteran who's, I mean, yeah, you could trade for Adonis Haslam if you wanted somebody like that on the bench. And to your point, you're saying there's value there, but I'm not sure that they're really going to make any kind of difference on the court. And so, yeah, you could package up. Carson and Tremont and whatever, and maybe there's a team, you know, that wants to get some younger players. But the issue is, you know, nobody's really expecting any of those to hit at all, right, with anything substantial. So there's just not a lot of – there's not a lot of benefit to it. So it's it's going to be all about the mid-level and the veteran. Is there even a veteran exception anymore, or is it just the league minimum? I can't even remember. Uh, I think there's a taxpayer – there's a tax pyramid level, which is which is worth the Celtics would be on, and right. I think I think the veteran, yeah, because I don't think they used that last year. I think it's, it's you can use it every other year or something to that effect. Yeah, um, I know it changed. There's always the vet minimum, yeah. right? You can do a vet minimum, right? No matter vet minimum, what. but there's the there's the buy-in. I'm thinking the buy-in exception. I think that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. Yeah. So yeah, and, and and so yeah, I think you're right. You've got to use that mid level. Again, not knowing that this team would be able to be in competition. Danny Ainge did amazing work to try to get a team now that was even in the position it would, it was, and they got a lot more out of this team than they should have. But now we know, right? Now we know the holes. The holes are front court. And yes, we knew that, but there was only just limited means to deal with that issue last July. Now, I think Danny has very clear marching orders in terms of what he, where he needs to improve. To me, they've got to add a shooter. They've got to add a better guard behind uh, Kemba, and they've got to find a way to, to improve the very least. Why, why isn't the better guard behind Kemba just smart? Well, I think I think the issue is that when they run into the small the small guard lineups. You know, I, I think they still struggle with the small guards. You know, that's the one thing that Kemba that I should say that that Marcus has a hard time with is staying with smaller guys. So I think they do need uh, someone who, you know, could Carson Edwards have been that guy? Could Truman Waters be no, that guy? No, sure, no, no, possibly. No. No, no I, don't, I don't think we know that. I mean, I you know, I think year over year things can change. I think Romeo Langford has you know, room to grow, but obviously his injury doesn't help in any way in, in, in trying to see what he can do next year. Um, you know, I, for me – Yeah, you got to look at Langford as the, as the Hayward – you know, fill in slot wise, not not right. that he could be Hayward, but he moves into that those minutes almost guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And then, you know, to me, the biggest the biggest issue from going back to that roster construction piece is that you need to have your best five players need to be able to play together. I mean, I, I, it sounds silly, but like I don't understand I've, I've been a big believer in trying to run that best five lineup. I still don't think that they have proven without a doubt it can't work. I would keep trying it if they can't find a way to turn Hayward into something. I still think there's a chance he could opt out and sign a lower contract for you know a number of years out. 
All those things could happen. But just in terms of a, you know, 2K fantasy basketball setting, to me, I would be looking to try to turn Gordon Hayward's contract into either one or two pieces that provide something to me in the in the in the front court. Like just this league, we we can unless you're you're Joel Embiid, you can run just about any center, any big center off the court like Ennis Cantor. That's just where we are now. You know what I mean? Ennis Cantor can play regular season minutes, but you're going to get played off the floor in the, in the fourth quarter or in the second half of of most NBA playoff games. And and so the Celtics need to have more answers for that type of, of game. To, and and they also need some leadership from the, the older players, you know, and, and Kemba needs to get healthy with his knee, without a doubt. Yeah. All right, let's go to Doc Rivers. Um, believe it or not, John, we've been talking for nearly a half hour just on that. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Got at least three months more to talk about it. So I know. I, guess I was kind of thinking, like, am I squeezing some draft talking? Like, why would I squeeze the juice out of like how we're gonna sustain this baby? So let's let's just talk about Doc because he's out, and and I'll even say, you know, again, I joined Bobby Manning last night, and he was kind of talking about it, and he thought it was surprising. You know, just because of the bubble being such a weird environment. And I was like, doesn't matter, man. It's excuses. And Doc already underachieved with a group that got blown up. They started over. They won the lottery. At the end of the day, you know, there's just only so much rope. And um, regardless of the circumstances, it's still Doc's job, right? So uh, I'm not surprised he got let go. Uh, but then we hear or I read that he is hanging out already in Philadelphia watching game one. So I don't know if they were already talking <laughs> or what was going on there. But boy, will that add some fuel to the rivalry between Philly and Boston. And really, this was the first letdown year, and that's because Simmons was injured. Uh, yeah, so I, I, like you, I'm I'm not surprised that they – they moved on. I'm surprised. <laughs> this this goes back to everybody loves Doc, right? Everybody loves Doc. Doc's a good guy. Doc talks to everybody. And I personally, I, I, I know him. I don't, you know, sure, okay. But obviously people are covering for him because the first time we hear about the, the, the media talking about that Doc's got to go is after he's already been let go. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of like, okay, all right, so this is what we're doing now. All right, fine. Um, I think that's <laughs> that, that just kind of tells you what we need to know about um, how it works. And, uh, you know, everybody loves Doc, sure, but, like, let's be honest. Like, these these whispers should have been happening long ago. Uh, and so I, I so that's, that's one piece of it. Um, but the other piece is, you know, right. Let the next, what's next. And, and if he comes to Philly and it sounds like he's going to be offered the job at the very least, um, to me, he's Brett Brown 2.0. I mean, I, you look at doc rivers and say, Oh, he's got this figured out. Yeah. He's a little bit more. No, (laughs) No, Brett Brown is a better strategic coach and doc is still, better in managing big egos and big stars than Brett Brown. You know, the criticism of Brett Brown was that he didn't hold him accountable enough. Right. But let's face it with big egos and big stars, you know, and leverage, that's just not the way you pull that shit off. It's just not. You know, and you can talk about it and you and and Brett can go ahead and try to get accountability. But the way that the media and the fan base talk about that accountability, that's something that you that's a that's a collegiate frame of reference. If I don't give you playing time, it's going to cost you money based on draft position. So you either get with the program or you don't get minutes. They don't have that leverage in the NBA. It's a ludicrous it's a ludicrous angle. It's totally ludicrous. And that's where Doc is good. 
Doc manages locker rooms. He manages personalities. You know, he's a diplomat. Everything that most people hate about Doc, in a way, is what makes him a good coach. And it's part of the reason he doesn't like being with younger players, you know. And it's because he gets the cachet because they're going for a championship. So when you're managing those egos, Doc's move is, this is what we can be. So Ubuntu, sacrifice. If we do those things, you can get your goal. That is the key piece of magic to Doc Rivers being able to manage those personalities. If you are a sub-500 team, he's got none of it. He gets exposed on the strategy because he either can't get the players to do it, the negativity in the locker room, it's a grind, and it's, you know, there's nothing diplomatic to be about except – Let's just take it one day at a time. Da, 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 da. And and if he's not really helping the players develop, then they're also not, you know, buying in. So his magic, and I think he's well aware of this, his magic is I can motivate a group that's really got a shot in the postseason. And that's it. And I leverage that to get them on board with the program. And <clears throat> I can you know, I can deal with scenarios that come up that are uncomfortable uh, because I play the long game and I don't get too high and I don't get too low. And that, yeah, and and I think that that's that works. I think it works better in situations where you have self motivated players. And For I don't sure. Know that he, I don't think he has that with Philly. I think he has players with motivation. But I don't know that they have the type of self motivation. He doesn't have you know, like the like right veterans. He doesn't have the right veterans. There's a reason like Jimmy Butler didn't fit there. There's a reason he left. Right? right. He wasn't the right veteran to get that crew together. Right. And I think that that's it's way too in your face. Yeah, because those guys are soft. Yeah. I don't think they. I don't think they know what it takes to win, and they can't handle that. They Were you going to say that. they're millennials? No, you weren't going to say that. No, but I, I feel it. I feel <laughs> it. We just lost half of the listener base. Way to yeah, go! Well, five of them. You sorry. just lost. You just lost the left. <laughs> no, but like, look. I mean, those, <laughs> those, those, that Philly team, Simmons and Embiid. One, they never, they will never fit together. He is not the X's and O's guy who's going to find a way to make that work. That's just, you know, his best guys right now are either looking for head coaching jobs on their own in Houston or L.A. or are part of the front office in <laughs> in L.A. So, you know, he's he doesn't really have anybody to bring with him. Tibbs has is, is got the New York job. So all Doc has is himself right now. And all he has is, and he's what he has for players are a, a mixed mashed group of players that have been acquired by the Philadelphia 76ers that were never going to work together. And, and, and so in, in an ideal circumstance, you know, he has players to fit. He doesn't, you know, he, when he had KG and Paul and Ray and, and Rondo, and I mean, that was the perfect fit for those guys. Right part of their careers, right part of you know, skills offsetting each other. I mean, it was it was ideal, you know. Even in even the Clippers, where he had Chris Paul and he had Blake and he had uh, JJ Redick and DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that team was was very powerful, very strong team. You know, he's got those those pieces fit. I have yet to see anyone tell me how they're going to put Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together in any sort of lineup that makes sense. And then let's throw on top the $27 million man uh, annually for for our guy Al Horford. I mean, it just it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, it's going to be tough on Doc. You're absolutely right. It's not, not going to be a great position. But Doc's also gotten – Teams like that to trade players, so keep that in mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, but they're so stocked up with 
Um, he's got players to sign as free agent. <laughs> We're all stocked up with go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all stocked up here. Is that what you? Yeah. I mean, they're they're there's no way they're going to have any sort of cap space anytime soon. And they've got, you know, that giant Tobias Harris contract, the giant Al Horford contract. Their two most tradable pieces are their cornerstone pieces that they don't want to touch, but they're cornerstones that don't fit together. So I just, you know, for Doc's sake, I hope he gets paid well. Um, I think it's going to add a, a lot more heat to the Philly Boston rivalry. Um, I think Boston's going to come out ahead of it because of where the game is. And, you know, of course, Doc is trying to run an offense out of, you know, 2005 instead of an offense running out of 2020 or 2021. That's just, you know, that's where it's going to be. But I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not surprised we're here. I, I, I was hoping though he'd stay in the Western conference. Because I, I really don't like rooting against him. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of his for the way he left. His I am a Celtics stick, and then a year later he's out the door. I mean, that bothers me and continues to bother me to this day. But um, I still prefer him in the Western Conference. Just I don't want to have to hear it. But. I don't want to have to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looks like you're going to have to hear it. <laughs> I think you're right. Looks right. like that's the way it's going to be, bro. Looks like that's the way it's going to be. I think you're right, though. Awkward fit. All right. We'll just have to wait and see. What else? Any other immediate – like, I don't want to talk about the finals. I'll just be honest with you. I could give two flying Mahootsies. I have complained enough about the refs, so I'm, I'm just done with that. You know, time to move on. Uh, Celtics were still responsible for their, you know – outcome so anything else that's come up that you think we should talk about other i mean we kind of wrapped up the season well we certainly have more and we'll get into more you know we gotta talk about three draft picks Uh, right yeah but outside of the draft agreed that's my i want to leave meat on the bone and yeah. by the time we'll probably go back to our every other week status at this point, you know, we go into, gosh, it's so weird to call this the off season, right? But we're going to go into the off season mode. This used to be preseason. Oh yeah. This is like this the training is, camp uh, was just about to get started. And media day, man, we're talking about media day and yeah. yeah I know it's a weird, it's a weird time, you know, I mean, this and is, there's no commitment for when everything gets ramped up again. And if they're going right. to do it in the bubble and, he said, you know, Sil- Adam Silver said today that, that, you know, Christmas Day would be nice, but it's probably going to be January. That's still something to shoot for. That's good. I, I, I not a lot of time is, off. That's really interesting. Don't, well, don't you think the players union is going to kick back yeah, on that a little bit? Look at the, look at the eight teams that didn't play though. You know what I mean? Like they've been out since March, you know? So there's like, I mean, yeah, you don't want to build it off that, but. You know, there's been what uh, sixteen, so six, six, about half of, the, of the, all the all of the teams have been off at least since early August. So that's two months right there. Um, so you know, I don't think it's yeah, you know, that's like four or five months. I mean, I, it's different the wear and tear stuff. I mean, I think the Celtics and and you know these conference finalists and. And the final, you know, the teams in the in the uh, well, the conference finals that includes all four teams. I, I mean, I'm sure that they'll want as much time as possible. Um, but the Celtics. Really I'm just thinking about the family thing. They're going to have to solve, except for Walker. They're going to have to yeah, solve the family thing. There's no way. I don't think they're going in a bubble. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the bubble idea is is done. I, I think I think that they're going to. They're going to play in arenas and travel, and they may do some things with with scheduling. But I think what about I think fans? I, no fans, no way. Nope, I don't see it. I don't see fans. I, I mean, I think there'll be some. You know, it's kind of like the NFL, right? Where you know, players, families, the and the crowd, and yeah, yeah. But I don't see. I don't see a you know eighteen thousand fans pouring into TD Garden until there's a, a vaccine. You know, and and then some, <laughs> because yeah. you're gonna need that that time for it to 
it's not gonna it's not gonna be tomorrow despite what you might have heard in the presidential debate it's not gonna be you know the day after the vaccine's announced and everyone's inoculated not how it works so um, well and a lot of people are going to want to be inoculated the the other piece of it right so until you have until the, that's you get when the that interesting piece. conversations start to come about right all the yeah. people that don't want to be inoculated and yet everything's been shut down and then they then the people start looking at the demographics and say i'll take my chances Right. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting time, and especially because the pre- presidential debate will be behind. I mean, the debate, <laughs> the first debate's behind us, but we have two more. Um, <laughs> the presidential election will be behind us, which, you know, may create a different environment for evaluating the world. But um, but it is still going to be interesting because. I, I'm just I'm are we gonna let people just decide, right? Like as long as the people who are high risk or whatever, whatever, as long as we inoculate enough, that's gonna be enough. You know, does that put people back in the stands, but they, you know, do fifty percent capacity, similar to what we've seen with with bars and whatnot right. once once it got because I, I kind of feel like the the movement on this is once the general public has the opportunity to choose something right right now there's no choices and i feel like that's what is causing the biggest issue here is i mean you do have a choice you have a choice to not wear the mask and be you know kind of going against the grain depending on the state you know you may have a choice in your county to cancel football or not um, or fall sports or whatever. Like there's definitely some choices, but when it comes right down to there's no options, there's and and to protect yourself, you know, other than wear the mask or don't don't leave your house, right? And yeah. you know that's going to be the biggest thing. Here's the options. What are we going to do? You know, and then it'll be a lot of education. I I wonder, I, I know business has changed, right? I can tell you from firsthand experience working with three different companies through this, business will never be the same. You know, I'll be traveling for the very first time next week. I haven't traveled since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm going to be on a plane. Wow. I used to travel every single week. All the time, fact, sure. All the time. I haven't traveled in seven plus months. You know, I what's ironic is when this all hit, I canceled a trip to Tampa. And that's where I'm going. <laughs> I'm actually flying to the place I canceled my last trip. So it's ironic that my first trip is to the exact same place I was headed that it was like outbreak. Everything's shutting down. I was like, I'm not getting stranded down there and trying to drive home in a rental. So but but the point is, is business is different. I will never travel like that again. There won't be a need. Businesses are doing it differently. They're actually seeing cost savings and ways to increase profitability without cutting back on productivity and cutting back on staff. You know, some of them are surviving. Obviously, service industries, bars, restaurants, they're getting killed. But my, but brutally, brutally, and it's sad. But I almost wonder, like, is sports going to be different forever? I mean, is the way that – because this wasn't good enough, right? This was pacifying. They might play in some empty arenas, but there's going to be some innovation that comes out of this because they're not going to survive not packing the stands. Financially, they're not going to survive not putting seat not putting seats in those seats. <laughs> and right. And they're going to have to find another way. And whatever that way is could end up being the permanent way. So I'm, I'm just interested in your take. You know, do you think, do you think it'll ever go back to a similar kind of thing? Or do you think that the way sports is even, even the way we watch sports, consume sports and everything else, do you think it's like going to be totally revolutionized as a result of this? How, I mean, like you said, how could it not be, right? I mean, how can how can we not have uh, a situation where people view um, 
sports differently, congregating, uh, you know, and mass. Yeah, but yeah. let's say they come out with an inoculation, the numbers go way down, they find out that, you know, plenty of people who were asymptomatic still build immunity, like, you know, all these things come into play, and they literally say, you know, it's totally safe to congregate, back to normal, you know, that's not going to happen right. overnight. But let's say we get to that in two years. Don't you think that the types of innovations that will have to happen between now and then may just change the sport altogether versus just, oh, yeah, great. We're back out in the seats and we're at it because that experience, that game experience is unbeatable. Right. So do you think it'll just when it when it can happen, will it just return to that, you know, or will they have done something totally different in the next, you know, 10 months? I mean, if we're talking about just the NBA, I don't know how they fill a gap of 40% of revenue. Right. Um, with Without, you know, charging people, you know, exorbitant sums to, um, you know, to be in the arena, to experience it firsthand. Now, if you want to say, well, look, you know, we can go up on our carriage fees, um, ESPN, and we can pay even more for our, our uh, basketball package. Okay, now I'm now I'm listening, but I don't think it's there. I don't think that there's a, um, I don't think that there's a an amount that people are saying, yeah, I'll pay. You know, I'll pay. Everyone is going to say that they're going to pay for league pass. Basically, the only way you get the NBA is if you have league pass. I don't see that happening. I don't see that that grows the game. I don't see that it gets them. I mean, this, I don't see that. That's the only way I could see them getting to a point where they could somehow make up that. Um, you know, make up that gap, yep. right? There's no other way. There's no way without it. So, um, so I is, think there, is there a league the contraction from the salary standpoint? Does the product get better because some teams fold, and then the talent gets redistributed so that the competitiveness of the game and the because there's been complaints about that that the league's too watered down. You know, you get one superstar on a team or. You know, definitely too, and it's all over, right? right? It's all right. she wrote, and look at the clamoring for like a Kawhi. That that's that may be the best move, you know. I and, and I don't know who you do that to, right? But but but, it, but you're but that, still you're still even if you if you make the product smaller and you have fewer players to, to play, you're still gonna have 17 on each on each roster in every city. You know what I mean? So you're still you know, I don't know that the. I guess the the way that it shrinks really does exactly what you want it to in that case. You know, you're still gonna have 17 people that you gotta fill out on a roster, and you still, you know, maybe you, you know, maybe each player is making a little bit less because there's no, fewer I'm players making max contract. I'm saying less. No, teams. I know, I yeah. know, but I, I don't, I don't know that that, I don't know that that gets you far enough. That like, you know, the the. The more mouths, the bigger the pie, I think, you know. So I don't know that that the proportions of the pie change. It's just the pie is larger, you know, if you have more teams or, or less teams. I don't know that the proportions really are, are altered by, by doing that. But somehow you got to find additional sources of revenue, I guess, is the point, you know. And, and I don't know. I don't know that you can get there. I, I don't know that you can get there by saying, well, the product is more dynamic because we've got 26 teams instead of 30. You know, you can track, you know, whatever you want to say, Sacramento and, you know, Memphis, and I'm just picking small markets, um, you know, Indiana and whoever, um, the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can track Excellent those teams. choice. I, I mean, you know, I just I don't see how the Celtics get first pick in the yeah. the retraction uh, the uh, contraction draft. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just yeah, I think that there's they're stuck with. I mean, I think they could contract because teams aren't profitable and, and they shut down, you know. But I, I don't know. I mean, that's I think it's more likely that salaries are cut. I think that's probably the most likely. Um, situation that there's there's a shrinkage um, of salaries. You know, we've seen that actually. I think the NHL did some of that, baseball did some of that, and the NBA didn't because they were already well underway. And you know, they've 
um, you know, kind of down the road, I guess, a bit more with their plan for the summer. But, you know, one more year of trying to pay regular, you know, a regular 82 game regular season out <laughs> when, you, when you have only 60% of the revenue you're used to as a league, it just doesn't work. And so that's, that's why we talk about what's going to happen next year. There's so much that's unknown in terms of how we can plan for building a roster because the underpinning of the whole league is based upon the caps and 40% lost revenue. Yep. So you got basketball related income. And if you don't have that basketball now, the other thing is that the cap wouldn't normally be adjusted so negatively because a big portion of the revenue for last year had already been received by the time the pandemic hit. So, you know, the July one, you know, usually they go through that and they set the cap for the year and the whole thing. We were well into the year by the by the point where uh, that happened. Now, certainly all the playoff revenue and everything from March, whatever, 13 and on was 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 gone. But there was quite a bit already taken in, too. So I don't know. It's this is going to be a fascinating two months of how the NBA negotiates with the players association, what their, what their, what their league looks like come, you know, I guess Christmas day, January, whatever it is, because that, that whole, you know, structure to me, they're going to go a half step towards a real draconian thing. I don't think they're going to go draconian in terms of teams like that, but I think they're going to, they're going to cut salaries. I think they're or use the escrow, yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to negotiate it, and everybody takes a pay cut um, mm-hmm. that's proportionate, except for a minimum threshold. They don't get cut. You know what I mean? They just they take the right. big ones and bring them back down a little bit. All right. Well, we got plenty of time to talk about that. Thanks everybody for tuning in. It was a pretty good show. I mean, we got some. We got some weight to do, but the off season may not be as long as we've all been used to in the past. This may move along pretty quickly. We'll have a draft in the middle of that. Um, so this may not feel totally like it has, uh, over summer's past, but it definitely won't feel like summer outside as you try to occupy yourself. Uh, so enjoy some Halloween time. <laughs> the holidays at least will help. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Celtic Stuff Live. Thank you all for listening. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in every week of the show. We hope you enjoyed the postseason. I know we took a big, long break during the early days of the pandemic, but we will be back more regularly. Yeah, there's stuff happening. We're definitely going to be here. Um, you know, to get us through the now ended season to the next one. So, you know, for staff writer Samuel Elias, and our founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, my co-host John Duke, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Celtic Stuff Live. Simmons.